0: radio for a really great future we're talking real money
1: well in some ways the world is apparently a little closer to normal today at least in terms of the podcast now of course my personal life totally different story (laughs) totally different story we do have questions for our friday q a get together but i don't have air conditioning for recording my friday q a get together and just coincidentally, of course, died last night. Today, hottest day of the year. Uh, earlier today, I haven't checked recently. It uh, the feels like temperature was 110, and I have no air conditioning. <clears throat> I have a fan behind me, but if I if I turned the fan on, uh, it would make a terrible noise on the microphone. So I'm going to. Just plug away at your questions, and a whole bunch came in this past week. They came in uh, primarily through TalkingRealMoney.com, where people spoke them, but some did uh, come in, a couple, from the phone service at 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255, which, by the way, is the number you can call on Saturdays and talk with both Tom and me live from 3 to 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific. So there you go. We have questions. I'll try to have answers here on the Talking Real Money Q&A Day presentation, and let's get things started right here, right now, right now, yes, now.
2: Hi, Donna and Tom. This is Beth from Pennsylvania. I have a question about asset location. I'm almost 58 and I plan to retire when I'm 65 in seven years. Um, I would need some money from my accounts to get me through until Social Security, either 67, or perhaps I'll push it off if I can. I will collect a pension that starts at 65, but it won't account for all of my living expenses. I might have to take, say, about 2% from my investments. My investments are split between a brokerage account and then um, with about $100,000, $150,000 in it and retirement accounts, which are about 75% Roth and only about 25% pre-tax. I've always looked at my pension as my pre-tax part of my savings. Currently, I'm pretty much all in equities and I'm comfortable with that. And I don't mind writing out the bear market that we're in currently. My question is, in the next seven years, I do wanna put some of my new money in bonds. So I have something stable to draw from if the market is down when I first retire. My question is, where should I put those bonds? I have, like I said, the brokerage account, um, a pre-tax portion of my four hundred three b, and a post-tax or pr- Roth portion of my four hundred three b. I only probably need about two percent or so a year of the um, total amount. Assuming a very modest four or five percent increase till then, I only need about two or four two percent or so of that. And then after I collect my show security, I probably won't need the accounts again until inflation starts to make my buying power less. So where should I buy those bonds? Which a little bit in all of those kinds of accounts, the, the Roth, the traditional and the brokerage or in one particular time. Thanks for your help.
1: This one's actually really easy. You do not want to touch your IRAs or your Roth IRAs for as long as you can get away with not touching them, because they grow without tax liability. And this is the perfect scenario, by the way, because right now, if you get into a high-quality, short-intermediate-term bond fund or bond ETF, you are going to get just under 3%, probably on average, because I want you to go with shorter maturities, not long maturities, but shorter maturities. That way they don't tend to be as volatile. You can go, you could even go BND from Vanguard, which is a little bit longer, where you'll be getting about 3%. But you see, you'll be getting about what you need. So you'll be taking out. Some of it you're going to get taxed on over the next seven years, a little. Big deal. Um, It's just not as big as the potential growth that you can get tax-free in those accounts. And this way, it's a very, very simple process to basically take the income from your bond portfolio that's in your brokerage account, because it will be just almost exactly the amount you need to fill that gap until Social Security and uh then that still you i would still maintain that balance afterward and just let the dividends accrue or use them every once in a while for fun for something uh, extravagant but no i would absolutely buy the bond funds in the brokerage account and thank you for your question i appreciate it now another one comes in from talkingrealmoney.com. here we go
3: greetings Don and Tom from Western North Carolina, up in the mountains, hillbilly country. Um, My name is Patrick. I have a question about, uh, you know, our portfolio. I have about six hundred thousand dollars in invested assets. I'm fifty years old. I've already got. I have four children, their colleges uh, funds are already funded. Uh, I make about one hundred seventy five k a year. I'm looking at retirement, hopefully age sixty or so. 60-62, that's negotiable in my mind, Um, but I have that 600K. It's all in VTI, the total stock market index. I took the vestry quiz. Um, I am high risk. It kind of fits my personality. I'm not really concerned right now with the markets, Uh, but I do realize I need some bonds at some point. And so for that 20% bonds, my question is, Go ahead and flip 20% now in bonds, and then what I continue to save in the future, uh, does that go into that uh, split 80 20, or do I just keep the invested uh, in the equities now and then just start buying like BND or something like that uh, till I get to the 20 80? Just kind of curious as to which is better. It's, it's not really a market timing thing, it's just. Um, you know, what's more practical, what's better to, to achieve that by the time I get to where I'll, I'll need that one of these days. Uh, this is Patrick again from North Carolina. I forgot to, or I left out the detail uh, that going forward, I plan on maxing out uh, 401k, maxing out Roth IRAs and uh, maxing out an HSA uh, going forward. So that's and since I'm 50 or greater, that's probably 31 um, as my, myself and my wife. It's probably on the order of forty thousand a year. that would be going into the uh, into something, uh, into equities or bonds or whatever. Uh, just one forgot to leave out, or I forgotten left out that detail.
1: Thanks. Well, Patrick, your follow up call really did help. Um, by the way, you're you're one of the uh, better better off hillbillies I've known. Um, love hillbilly country, absolutely love it. Uh, I've got family in Western Carolina. Um, I was in Southwest Virginia for a little while before uh circumstances brought me back down to florida but i still want to get up there in those mountains i love those mountains very much even though i will be a, uh, a a usurper i will probably never get your absolutely native accent down darn it although i will suck it up when i'm there i just do that i suck up accents um so let's see with your addendum i i was heading this way anyway but given that you uh, added to that, I, I've got a couple of bits of advice for you. One, I would just start getting bonds. And I think BND is a great way to get them. Uh, I would start getting bonds through your additions, through the additional money you're putting in, because you're going to be to your 20% very quickly. You're going to be to your 20% in three or four years. So that's what I would do. I would not mess with equities right now, because I'd hate to be selling in, in a... Uh, particularly in a retirement account, a protected account, because there's no tax advantage. You can't take a tax loss. But the only thing I noticed is that you have everything in VTI. Now, I believe, and Tom believes also, that that is a mistake. You should have Both the international or both the US, which you have, and the international, or just do it as a combo with VT, which gives you both and then rebalances for you automatically. And since you said you're a high risk investor, you know, lately in this downturn, the diverse portfolio that we've been talking about forever with a little bit in small cap value like uh, AVUV or the Vanguard small cap value ETF, th- that has really added diversification and helped improve people's returns in, in declining markets. It's Plus, it's been a, a big winner over long periods of time. So I think you need to adjust your stock portfolio a little bit too. Again, our phone number, if you want to call us with questions, either uh, leave them during the week at 855-935 Talk, or you can call them in live on Saturdays at 855 935 8255 Okay? Now let's see. We are still looking at calls from Talking Real Money, where people live leave them at talk, live them. <laughs> they live them and they leave them at talkingrealmoney.com. Here we go.
4: Hi, Tom and Don. This is James calling from Laredo, Texas. I'm in T I am in TIAA. Uh, Kref. Well, now it's just TIAA. I've been in this for nearly 40 years. I also have a brokerage account there um, that I transferred previously from A.G. Edwards, which I think turned into Wachovia, which turned into Wells Fargo, which I moved over to TIAA. Last summer, there was a $97 million uh, settlement with the SEC uh, lodged against uh, TIAA for pushing their customers into higher-cost accounts. I'm wondering how I would know if I'm in a higher-cost account, if I'm in a managed uh, account. I do have an advisor, but I've always had an advisor up in San Antonio. Um, And I did have some money moved around because I had, I don't know, 20 different accounts from different jobs that were just consolidated into a few. I'm not under the impression they're managed accounts. My concern is I can't seem to get anyone at SEC or TIAA to answer my question if I was moved to a managed account. This $97 million payout uh, is being split between 20,000 customers, uh, which divided evenly would be over $40,000 each, although that's likely not the case. Um, wondering how I would determine uh, if I'm in a managed account with TIAA. Uh, thanks. I enjoyed Retire Meet, was there uh, virtually a few weeks back. I uh, hope to listen to this on a podcast soon. Thank you.
1: This is actually just a bit more complicated than it might seem at first blush because you, you may be part of that class. And the way to find out if you're part of that class is to contact the attorneys who tra- handled this. It was the New York Attorney General. Um, so, you want to, you know first, you're never going to get through to the, uh, the SEC. You might want to contact the, the New York Attorney General. I think they probably have an office where you can make inquiries into this payment because it, it may very well be that you're part of this class because this lawsuit was about TIA taking people out of low cost. Uh, 403b programs with school districts and healthcare facilities and the like and transferring those into tia's managed accounts and it sounds to me like you are in a tia managed account that somebody may very well be collecting commissions and fees from you they might just be um, but they might be hesitant to respond verbally we, we all like to just talk about things, but people, they, they're not going to respond unless you write them a letter and maybe even CC your attorney or something, even if you're just pretending, uh, because they don't want to tell you that they've, and I, I believe that it's a mistake to have a an account like this with T. would love to look at the whole darn thing and, and that's another thing i was going to suggest is you might very well want to take advantage of the deal we offer with our advisors and it really is as good as it sounds it's not a lie we're not going to try and pressure you into becoming a client we don't do that we don't need to we're not greedy like some of these big companies are greedy um and let us look at it and see what you're in because we would love to give you an opinion we'd love to i'd love to see hear what the whole things uh, the whole accounts about uh because i'd be willing to bet you've got some very expensive funds in there you may be paying them advisory fees we'd have to look at a statement to really determine that but uh one way or another you might be involved in this you might very well be involved in this and so i think it's worth pursuing now bear in mind that average it it depends on the size of the accounts although it sounds to me like given that most of these are old 403b's and the like that you you may have one of the bigger ones i don't know i don't know how big your account is but i would definitely pursue it and an easy way to know heck no that's what i that's what our beef is with these these uh, financial services firms obfuscation is the rule clarity clarity is something they do not believe in they don't want you to know exactly what you have and exactly what you're paid for it they do not want you to know that because people would start getting really testy if they knew what they were paying for things so i would write a letter to the corporate people at tiaa and ask for a complete breakdown of all the fees expenses and commissions you've paid over the years complete breakdown um, I would also probably write a letter to the New York Attorney General's office or go to their website. They probably have a, a, a class action section or a, a victim section where you, uh, you can get more information on what you're entitled to or might be entitled to. And remember, a $97 million settlement, that's not all going to the people who lost money. There'll be some going to lots of other fees and expenses, even if it is the state and the U.S. who are leading this program. Thanks so much for your question. I really appreciate it. And our next one is our one question that came in from 855-935 talk.
5: Hey, Dom and Tom, this is Matt from Utah. I'm out on my morning walk listening to your podcast and a question came to me. The question is this: with mortgage rates increasing up into the 5-6%, no longer in the 2 to 3% range, do you still discourage people from paying off their mortgages? even though the interest rates have climbed. In the past, I know that you would tell people to uh, keep their mortgage at 2 or 3% for obvious math reasons. I'm wondering if, as the interest rate goes up, if you change your point of view, as I think about the financial industry and all the different conflicts of interest, the one conflict of interest I can think of with an AUM manager like your firm is that if they don't pay off their mortgage, then they have more assets under management, which would be possibly a conflict of interest because it would pay you guys more money. Um, I'm not trying to call you out on this. I love you guys. And if I used an assets under management person, you would be the one. But anyway, just want to hear your thoughts on both of those two points. And thank you so much for your show. Really appreciate all you and you guys do. Bye-bye.
1: Hey, Matt, thanks for letting us keep you company. Um yeah, I totally agree with you. This can be a conflict of interest. Totally can be a conflict of interest. That's why we take into account more than just uh are you better off with or without it? Uh with the money or without the money? What is it better off in, in in your mortgage? That's why when we talk about this, we don't say bl- we there is not a blanket never pay off your mortgage. Never. As a matter of fact, with rates higher now, um, if I was to buy a new place, I would personally, seriously consider consider not carrying a mortgage. But that's for another reason. It's not so that more of my assets can remain managed by my firm, which, you know, I, 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 I am part of my firm. I do it myself. Uh, but uh, no, the reason is, can I make more with that money and maintain liquidity? That's the driving decision. Can I, given my risk tolerance and my potential portfolio, probably, and again, everything we do in life is a probability decision. Can I, well, even likely make more money on my money than I would pay on my mortgage And do I value that liquidity? And we say this over and over again. If having a paid-off house is psychologically important to you, please pay off your house. We try not to have one of these conflicts of interest because for us, this is about making a living. You see, I I don't know how to share this with you without sounding like I'm insincere, but my, my honest truth, and Tom's honest truth, I believe... I mean, I can't see into his soul, but I believe it is we want to make a living and a living that's not on the client's back. If it is better for the client to have a paid off mortgage, for heaven's sake, we'll tell them to pay the mortgage off. If, for example, we have a client, I I don't know if this has come up in a long time, but let's just say. We had a client whose portfolio was hyper conservative, who was really concerned about the market, who really valued security highly, and uh, had a decent-sized portfolio, and their portfolio was only likely to make 3 or 4% a year in our expectation, and mortgage rates were up to 5 or 6 Well, it would be silly then not to pay off the mortgage although if somebody has a mortgage and they have very few liquid assets and they need to have money to fall back on in emergencies if you're at that narrow range it might be better to not pay off the mortgage you see there's so many factors that that have to be somehow calculated in this scenario so yeah uh, is it less of a no-brainer to uh, have a mortgage? Absolutely. Absolutely. With higher interest rates and with lower expectations for returns, possibly, yeah, you may want to pay off a mortgage. We try really hard not to have conflicts. Oh, we try so hard. You know, that's why we've tried to keep our fees reasonable. That's why we truly offer people free help. We just want you to do this right. And even our, I mean, for our clients we want you to do it right we want it to be right for you because if it's not right for you then what are we doing this for i'm not i'm not rich never going to be don't want to be don't need to be it's not a game to see who can die with the most money yeah no there's no there I, i can tell you that there's no conflict at our firm sure there will be at others absolutely confident I shouldn't say no. Might somebody at our firm not, you know, they'll be in trouble if they don't. But could, could they go off a little rogue? Sure, anybody can. You know, you could can, can have a bad doctor. Who knows? But no. If you're paying six or seven, down the road, if you're paying six, seven, eight percent on a mortgage and you got you got enough liquidity for life, for life's emergencies, pay off the mortgage. Don't pay more than you need to pay. That'd be silly. Uh, Again, our number, 855-935-TALK, and I think, yeah, we can get one more in here before I try to turn my fan back on, hoping that maybe the air conditioning guy will come back and get this started before I have to install my new one next week. At least get it restarted. Okay, here we go. We're going to go to this one.
4: Hello, Tom and Don. This is Joe in San Antonio, Texas. A few weeks ago, you'd mentioned something about uh, being able to loan your individual stocks within inside a portfolio as a way of gaining additional income. I uh, want to follow up uh, with a couple of things. One, is this possible with index funds? Uh, and it, would this be a good strategy to create additional tax-free revenue or growth inside of a Roth account? And are there any downsides or risks that y'all have discovered uh, over the past couple of weeks? Look forward to your answer. Uh,
1: thanks. No, you can't. You cannot lend out your index funds or ETFs because you, you don't have control over the individual securities. What we were talking about is the mutual fund industries or the ETF industry's ability to generate a little extra income for their shareholders by lending securities in the portfolio to those who need them for short sales and the like for for short-term transactions the mutual fund industry and the etf industry they are allowed to lend out up to half of their portfolio at any given time for these uh these short sale transactions and they do make a couple of cents every time they do this per share and that money actually goes back to you it uh in most cases what it does is it it helps mitigate some of the costs of operating the fund so that people like vanguard or dimensional or avantis or whomever it might be who are lending those securities are charging you lower rates because they have another source of income to cover their overhead so it's good for you but not in a direct way. It's very indirect, and it's not something that you can, you can see or put your finger on. So, no, it is not available to you personally. But thank you so much for the call. I think this was pretty good. I think those are good questions. I think that uh, is not bad, considering how uh, very uncomfortable I am in this incredibly hot studio. I don't even know what the temperature is, but my guess is it's gotten up to about 90 degrees. So that means that I am going to take a break and come back and edit this in a bit (laughs) and bid you a fond farewell and hope you'll join us tomorrow. And I hope I have my air conditioning working a lot better when we do the show live tomorrow in Seattle. And you can call us at 855-935-TALK between the hours of 3 and 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific. And again, if you need some help, you want somebody to look over your whole portfolio, really tell you where you are. Uh, try to help you make those baby steps toward a plan. Our firm, Vestry by Appella, is going to help you for free. Maybe not all the advisors love it, but they do it anyway because they know it's good for both us and you. And there's no obligation and there's no high-pressure sales pitch. So just go to vestry.com and set up an appointment. You can even set one up with Tom himself on Saturdays. He meets with people on Saturdays. He may get a little busy and not able to do it all the time, but he'd love to talk with you, and we appreciate you being there. Thanks for listening. I'm Don McDonald, talking real money